From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. I think it's fair to say that Democrats have taken the highest profile on climate change, but there are Republicans involved, too. And one of the more exciting voices on the conservative side is Benji Backer, who has you founded the uh, American Conservation Coalition, right? I did. A group of, uh, what, rebel conservative millennials <laughs> who, who want to save the environment. So tell me, uh, first of all, give me your political evolution. How did you how did you come to be a conservative environmentalist? Yeah, so I've been a conservative activist since the age of 10. I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm now here in Seattle. Uh, But I grew up in Wisconsin and was knocking doors for Scott Walker and doing a lot of political campaigning, Uh, but eventually made it onto the national scene, speaking at national events and writing blogs for national news sites. And students would always tell me that they felt like they were conservative on every issue but the environment, Hmm. that that was an issue that they felt they were liberal on. And my family had uh, an immense environmental background. We always went hiking. We did things outdoors. And so I cared about the environment, too. So it really bugged me that people would always say that because I was like, why is it liberal uh, to care about the environment when it just should be something that we care about? All these young conservatives and other conservatives care about the environment, but they just don't really know where to go. And so my freshman year of college here at the University of Washington, I decided to found the American Conservation Coalition, uh, which is focused on bringing conservative voices back into the environmental discussion. Mm -hmm. So uh, global warming, you believe it's real? I do. You believe it's caused by human activity? I do. You believe that the government should take the lead role in trying to blunt the effect of it? I do not. Aha. So what do you do about it then? I think that there's got to be a mix. Uh, You have all these, and I was even tweeting about this this morning, you have all these political leaders on the left saying that we need to spend trillions and trillions of dollars and basically hamper our entire economy to curb the effects of climate change. But that's just not true. The market's already trending that direction. The United States leads the globe in reducing carbon emissions. We don't have a huge federal government policy that has put us in that position. It's because of innovations and and corporations leading on the environment to reduce emissions that we've even gotten to that place. Now, it's not enough to say that we're just like good to go and that we should just let it be. Um, I think that corporations and innovation need to continue moving forward in the right direction and we need to shift to cleaner energies, but in a market-based way. And the government has a role in protecting our environment and our air and our water and keeping us safe and healthy. But it's a limited government common sense uh, approach that should be in partnership with the market leading, with corporations leading, with innovations leading. And then the last thing is that it doesn't matter what we do if other countries like China and India don't reduce their emissions. So that's another really important thing. So was it helpful for the president to drop out of the Paris Accords then? Because that was the whole idea of that was to get buy in from other countries, wasn't it? The Paris Accords wasn't holding countries like China and India accountable. They actually didn't really have to pay into it, while the United States had to pay a lot of money into it, and we were already reducing our emissions. China and India are not trending in the right direction, and they weren't held accountable at all. I think that there could be a beneficial international agreement to get other countries bought in, but the Paris Accords didn't do that, and you've seen other countries leave since then. I don't see a problem in leaving it other than not being a part of the discussion um, on on an international level, just because the policy and the agreement wasn't beneficial. And people are starting to realize that on both sides, and they're like, okay, what's next? Okay, so how does a conservative get to carbon zero? 
we definitely need to transition to cleaner technologies, whether that's more solar and wind and hydro and nuclear, or that's carbon capture and storage to, you know, capture some of the carbon from coal and oil plants and and make sure that doesn't go into the atmosphere. That kind of technology and transition is really important. Again, that's not going to come from a federal government policy, though. That can come from the fact that those types of energies are becoming less and less expensive, um, and people are trending towards that. Business, 150 of the country's largest businesses have uh, stated that they're going to go 100% clean by 2030. It's not because it's just a feel-good thing. It's because it's cheaper, and it's because it helps their business. Mm-hmm. So the market is moving in that direction It is all on its own, you're saying? It is. It's I was a- talking with Michael Schellenberger, who says that if you want to go carbon zero, you need to build 400 nuclear plants in this country. Nuclear has to be a huge part of it. I don't think that nuclear is the only answer. I think that there's going to be... Um, it's got to be a really diverse mix. I think solar, wind, hydro, nuclear, natural gas all play a role in getting there. Um, but nuclear definitely has to have a larger role. And nuclear has an uphill battle because for a while they were uh, battling really stringent regulations, and they still are. And then they're now supposed to be competing with uh, industries that have been heavily subsidized for the past few decades. So there's definitely an issue there with nuclear. And nuclear has the power to, uh, no pun intended, to actually reduce emissions at a large scale, whereas solar and uh, and wind right now do not. Um, the technology could change, but right now they don't. So nuclear does definitely have to be a part of that. What about the other side of the equation, just using less? Yeah. I mean, collectively, our actions really do matter. And using less energy, um, one of my friends, Todd Myers, who here's, yeah. who's here in Seattle, always talks about the Nest thermostat that's now in people's homes. And it ends up reducing emissions and using less energy because you save money by being able to track how much energy you're using. And you can turn it off from your phone, and it helps you save money, and it also uses less energy. That's the type of thing that actually does make a tangible difference, especially collectively. It's kind of like voting. You think one vote doesn't really matter, but when you all are starting to think like that, then it does really, really matter. So how widespread are your views in the Republican Party? And for example, was it helpful for the president to call climate change a hoax? No, it was not. It's really important for conservatives to start leading on this issue because it's been so one-sided for so long, and we've gotten disastrous policy proposals because of it. And the more that we ignore the issue, the more those policy proposals are going to be the only option, and people are going to transition to the Green New Deal-type policy if we don't have an answer, as crazy as that is. What is wrong with the Green New Deal? Well, it only focuses on solar and wind, um, which just do not have the capacity to reduce emissions. And we don't even know if they would reduce emissions at the scale that they're talking about. It's just not possible for a country of our size to be powered by just solar and wind. And that's what the Green New Deal proposes. It also says that we need to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on reducing emissions, which, again, is just completely false. And it makes the conversation about socialism and far-left politics instead of the environment. When so many different stakeholders are often left out of environmental discussions, the oil community, the gas community, nuclear, conservatives, and they're left out even more with the Green New Deal. And again, they have to play a role. Um, So the more that those policy proposals are the only ones out there, though, and conservatives don't have an answer, the more that's going to be commonplace. I think the problem that Democrats have is that they don't they don't feel they can trust the oil and gas companies because they because they are 
dependent on fossil fuels. So how would you get them to trust the oil companies? Well, I think it's more trusting the technologies that can help oil and gas companies reduce emissions, which carbon capture is a, is a really great example of. Oil I, thought and that, I thought that was really expensive, though. You mean actually sucking carbon out of the air and putting it into the ground with a machine instead of like a tree? It's becoming a lot less expensive. This is something that in the next five or 10 years should be easily implemented into our uh, kind of energy footprint. But We've gotten to where we are because of those sources of energy, and other places across the globe need those sources of energy to thrive. Obviously, we need to transition to a cleaner future, but we're not just going to just shift off of gas and oil overnight. We have millions upon millions of vehicles driving on oil, and that's not going to just change overnight. These companies like BP and Shell are really working hard to introduce more clean energy and reduce the emissions that they have in the atmosphere. But unfortunately, that approach isn't always there from people in the environmental community. You've been really busy. Uh, especially considering you're a junior at the University of Washington and you have some coursework to do. But, I mean, <laughs> you're giving speeches at the CPAC, gave a speech at Berkeley. How are you received at Berkeley? Yeah, so I think in general what I've found through this movement, and we focus on a lot of things, conservation issues as well as energy and climate issues. Um, we've found that actually on college campuses, people are a lot less hostile towards us than other conservative groups. Hmm. And that's because they understand that we have the same goal in a cleaner environment, a better environment, and they understand that we care about the same things. And I think a lot of times in politics today, we're told that we don't care about the same things and that we're on completely opposite sides of the issue. And I think on the environment, that's just not true. We have the same goals. We might have different ways of getting there, yeah. but we have the same goals. And so once people realize that, they're like, oh, okay, I'm willing to listen. But Berkeley is, uh, is a unique example because they're probably the most radical school, at least big school in the country, on political issues. And while they didn't protest or heckle, they announced that there was going to be a conservative environmentalist at this event, uh -huh. and half the crowd walked up and left. Um, How does that make you feel? Well, I think... It shows that there are certain people within the uh, liberal movement, and of course there are people like this in the conservative movement as well, who just aren't willing to listen to an opposing viewpoint, even if they have the same goal yeah. in mind. Uh, and that's pretty disappointing. But did, I also, Did you ever, I mean, when something like that happens, do you ever seek out the people who, who walked out and, and just ask them, so what was it, what is it about my presentation that you didn't even want to listen to? Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have had the chance because that was even before we started and I was just getting up on stage and I have no idea where they went. <laughs> um, yeah. I, so I wish I could ask them that. But I, w I, I do want to go back to the fact that in general that doesn't happen yeah. with the work that we're doing. And I think that that's a really good sign, even on the University of Washington campus or other you know, politically divided campuses. People who are left of center are really willing to listen to the work that we do because they're excited that a conservative is talking about the environment. Okay, so I don't know, I'm, I don't have really a feel for how widespread your views are among conservatives and Republicans. Mm -hmm. So can you, do you have any percentage? Yeah, so Donald Trump's approval rating on the environment is his lowest approval rating of any issue category. Yeah. Um, when they pulled this last summer, when it was looking like Russia was going to be an issue for him, it was the same percentage as Russia. Um, in California, his approval rating on the environment among Republicans is 20% less than his approval rating in general. So it's obvious that people within the conservative movement want answers on the environment. Our organization is on 125 college campuses nationwide, and we did that all in the last six months since launching our campus program. So it's very widespread. Um, most young conservatives believe in climate change. Most polls show between 
16, 80% believing, um, depending on the poll. Um, and that's a huge shift from older generations. And then, of course, issues like conservation, you know, lands protection, wildlife. That's that's something that everyone believes Well, I mean, hunters in. are on board exactly. with that too, right? Yep, hunters and fishers are some of the best. You've been uh, to the White House. Yep. Uh, what you would you recommend? What what should the president be saying about climate change? There are dozens and dozens of Republican Congress people and senators who have come out and said they believe in climate change and that they want action and they proposed action, but the president hasn't really followed that suit and saying that he's open to looking at the issue would be really beneficial. And that's what we've talked about is having some sort of conversation with him and other conservatives who understand that this issue is important, whether or not it's man-made or not, he's got to be open to having that conversation. And just calling it a hoax perpetuated by the Chinese doesn't help the conversation and only turns people away and only lets the left have a larger control on the climate change discussion. Being a millennial, do you have the sense that you will live to see the effects of what we do today? I think we're already seeing the effects in a lot of ways. You know, I think it's a combination of natural and man-made climate change. You're seeing, you know, extreme weather storms happen at an alarming rate and temperatures, you know, rising. Um, And a lot of people who live in communities that are affected by these kind of extreme storms or droughts or whatever it might be, even if they're super conservative, they, they've seen it firsthand. They're like, this is something I've never seen in my lifetime. This is kind of interesting. And I think it'll be getting worse. Um, but I also think that we have time to figure it out. And I think that there, are, again, are a lot of really great ways to figure it out. And it's got to be bipartisan and conservatives have to be involved. Mm. Where, where do you get the time to continue pursuing your degree when you're doing all that? You, you, you mentioned to me you're spending, what, 20 hours on school and 50 hours on activism. Yeah. How are your grades? <laughs> are your parents happy? Parents are happy. They're really proud, uh, actually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's really interesting. I haven't had the typical college experience because no. I started uh, this organization when I was a freshman. But it's really been worth it. I mean, we have a national team of volunteers and some paid staffers now that really dedicate their time and energy to this because they're passionate about it. And I get to travel around the country talking about this. And as a 21-year-old, that that is something that people dream of. It's been really humbling to have that opportunity. Um, and I, my professors overwhelmingly do understand. Um, I found it really actually beneficial because I'm a business student, and I get to learn a lot of the things in class that I can apply right away to the national organization that I'm running. And being in the Seattle area with leaders like Dan Evans and Slade Gorton as mentors has been you know, one of the biggest blessings as well. Uh, I'm I'm wondering when you first embarked on this as um, as a conservative, were you worried about looking like a traitor? Yeah, you know, I think there's a stigma around the environment that a lot of conservatives have, just because it's been so one sided that if you care about the environment, it's just you are a leftist person, which again is a problem because it shouldn't be a political issue. And so some people still see us as traitors or they think that we're funded by, you know, big environmental leftist groups. And actually, the a lot of people on the left think we're just funded by big oil. So it's just it's funny. But um, and now that neither of those are true. But we overwhelmingly have a lot of success with people talking about issues that they care about, which is conservation, hunting and fishing, um, things that people can tangibly relate to in the conservative agenda. And so it's pretty easy to kind of curb that stereotype of being a quote-unquote traitor uh, pretty quickly because of the work that we do and the organizations that we're allied with. 
you know, working with young conservative organizations and working with certain Congress people. So where are you off to next? Well, I, uh, I'm off to New York City next week to uh, accept the Grist 50 Award. I was the first conservative to win the Grist 50. Um, 50, 50 the, most influential young people, right? 50 most influential environmental people in general. They tend to be younger. So I'm off to New York to do that and, and do some speeches. We actually just did our own 30 under 30 event uh, because there isn't one out there yet um, last weekend in Dallas. So I just got back from that. Um, but traveling around a lot to, to push this message, uh, which is just a blast. And uh, are you going to get a one-on-one -on -one in the Oval Office with Mr. Trump? We're working on it. I sure hope so. Are. I sure hope so. We're <laughs> we're hoping that he'll accept that, and I think that's where he's got to go. Um, whether or not I appreciate the work he's done on the environment, or or if he's done a lot, that doesn't matter. It, we need more voices in this conversation, and the president plays a unique and important role, especially as a Republican who has other people in his party looking for action right now. Benji Backer is the founder of the American. Conservation Coalition and a student at the University of Washington. Benji, great to meet you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Great discussion. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe, and then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.